So, um, Demi, how are you? Yeah, taking it one day at a time. Yeah, that's how you. That's the only way with this problem, huh? Yeah, indeed, indeed. So we've been having this idea for a while, right? I mean, we've been discussing. I think both of us can be considered uh, TMD veterans at this point. <laughs> we've been dealing with this problem and uh, the surround and the impact that it has on your life for for many years now. And I think me and you, we've been we became friends through this, and we've been speaking about mainly like treatment options and kind of exploring this whole complex. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, medical phenomenon that apparently most doctors and dentists are quite clueless about, right? So I think this, um, we wanted to kind of let people know about some of the stuff that we've already learned. Um, not because like we understand it better than others, but mainly because we've had the experience. We've done so many failed treatments and some right ones. And, and, uh, especially with, if you're bringing in the topic of uh, bicuspid extractions which, uh, you know, both of us obviously, you know, had. And uh, so I just thought this would be a great way to share it, let people know and uh, inform and, and, and at least prevent people from making the mistakes that we made, you know, and it, it would save them like years of their life wasting time on that treatment. Sure, sure. And then just raising awareness of the problem as well um, and, you know, connecting people. And hopefully all this is going to be for the good cause. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think most people start like uh, you or me did. You know, you're kind of alone. You don't know what's happening to your body while you're getting all these new issues. And uh, this is where I think it was a critical phase, honestly. We uh, ended up doing, at least certainly me, I ended up doing a lot of the wrong treatment options, the wrong things, which actually made things worse. And I think it's very important to have a community or, or a group of people to be able to discuss this freely. I mean, there are some good options on Facebook, um, and we have certainly benefited from it. But I think uh, more this is more personal, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe in the future, we can actually uh, interview other, other people who have similar problems, who have found solutions. So it's more in detail. Sure, sure. Yeah, so do you want to begin by sharing your, your story, how it all happened to you and you know what you've been through? Sure. Yeah. Um, so, uh, as as you know, but to let our listeners, uh, you know, to kind of follow along, follow along for them. I for me the issue started. I'm 29 now. It started when I was, uh, I would say, about 12, 13. Um, I had a overbite. Um, you know, a slightly over, a slight overbite. Uh, class but it two. was mainly, yes, class two, I believe. Um, but for me, it was, um, mainly a, like, I didn't actually have any difficulty with, uh, swallowing or, you know, it was not like a, it was more of like the normal orthodontic approach, right? It doesn't look good. So they want to make the bite look perfect. Mm -hmm. So there was no actual functional, uh, deficiency because of that problem. You know, things were fine on that end. I had a normal childhood. Um, but, uh, the, it's ironic because, you know, my family, I'm the first generation to be able to, like, in our in my house that were, <laughs> we could actually afford to get dentistry, modern dentistry. <laughs> my parents have had never had any dental work. They obviously, when they were children, they didn't have the money. They've never been to a dentist. Sure. Uh, but uh, when they went, because I actually, you know, had the means for it, I went to an orthodontist and uh, they said that, hey, you know, you have a an overbite and then we can uh, make your teeth look very nice, very straight and correct the overbite. Right. So, you know, as a kid, I didn't really know. Obviously, if you're they tell you, you're going to they're going to make your teeth look better. You're going to take it. And right? at that Plus point, couple, you didn't have any symptoms or anything. 
No, absolutely not. Yeah. A very normal, uh, happy childhood, no issues with school, and, and uh, you know, I was very good academically, and so none of that issues with like brain fog and all that, you know. Uh, even physically as well, uh, you know, I was able to. I was not the star of the class or anything, but I was able to play sports with the, uh, with the boys and things like that. It was it was all normal. So anyway, um, so they said that, and it was also um, covered by insurance. So I was like, all right, I'll do it. And uh, they told me though that this was something that they had to be they had to do was to extract bicuspids, right? Healthy teeth. I mean, I had zero cavities, nothing. Like all my teeth were very healthy. So when they suggested this, I was a little bit taken back, you know, because like why unnecessarily, it didn't seem right for the, just from common sense, like why uh, extract healthy teeth, you know, when you don't really have any problems with the teeth, like that's lunacy. That's why I thought that was my first reaction. But then they really kind of, uh, I actually spoke around, spoke to some other people and they really kind of emphasized that saying this is the way it's done. It's a very normal practice and that. Don't worry, it's going to look perfect at the end. Everything's got, And I didn't even know there's something called occlusion and how the jaw joint works. Like, you know, nobody, people unassociated with this problem don't really know that, right? Sure. But they insisted that this is the absolute way to do it. And uh, so I just decided to do it. My parents were also a little hesitant, but they said, okay. I mean, if, if, I mean you know, we have this thing where I think most people, we trust the doctor or the dentist. Absolutely. Like implicitly, you know? Absolutely. And uh, I think a lot of uh, listeners would understand this as well. Like they would, and this is where, well, this is the problem that, you know, is that started. This is how it started for a lot of us. So it's like, so anyway. sorry, I just want to uh, mention this is that when you go to get your car fixed to a car garage, right? You by default think that the, the mechanic will know what he's doing, right? So you're not going to be there next to him. Uh, you know, under the bonnet, fixing everything along. You're going to sort of trust him and, you know, leave him to it. And it's the same approach when you go to a doctor or an orthodontist, right? You think that they know what they're doing and what they're proposing for you is, is the best solution, right? I'm sure that's the mentality yeah. you've had. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, this is, I mean, this is just how the our modern world works, right? When you go to a specialist, you expect them to know more than you and that you don't have to go back home and do research about it you know yeah unfortunately this is uh you know i've had many experiences after this actually where i didn't make that same mistake you know i went back but we'll get to that mm -hmm. so i decided to i mean we did this i had the, i had the teeth taken out and what was something interesting about even the extraction was that the uh the the dental surgeon i believe like the person who was taking out the teeth they had very big difficulty with me actually to take out the teeth he told me that he literally had to wrench it out. I mean, he was crazy. He told me he had never seen someone with like with such strong teeth, you know, like with 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 very long roots. Like they were actually discussing it. Like they were showing it to each other in the office. And I, I guess that should have been my first <laughs> like uh, indication, really, that this is not a right thing to do, you know. Sure. Because it seemed like it, the body was very against it, and they were really kind of forcing it to pull it out. Mm -hmm. And he was literally like holding on to my teeth and to the the seat of the the um the you know like the, the chair itself literally trying to like rip it out well the I procedure, mean, I know they done th the procedure yeah. is actually quite dangerous as as is because sometimes the roots can uh get stuck and you then have to you know do like a an actual surgery to get them removed i've heard of stories like that so 
It's exactly. So because it doesn't seem like uh, uh, like sort of a uh, it was quite barbaric, yeah. right? If you think about it, actually, it's almost like they're just dosing you so you don't feel the pain, obviously. But the way they go about ripping it out, like it's just insanity, actually. Um, anyway, they, that went except for that how how much difficulty they had and all that. It was uneventful. We went. I went back home, and the healing and all that was just normal. So what was interesting about the orthodontic phase of this was that um, they said that uh, that you have a, a, a complex case. Not uh, the, I'm talking about like how the teeth were unarranged, you know, like in, in a, or like a messed up order, so that it would take a long time to fix it. But actually, my ent- entire duration was about one year. Like in one year, I was able to. They were able to finish the case. They were able to close the gaps that quickly. Oh. I had very big gaps. Right. So it was clearly like a rush job because normally if you see patients with complex orthodontic needs, it's a long case. You know, it takes two, three hours sometimes. But uh, in my case, they were able to do it in one year. I mean, that again, all these are like a lead, the red flags that at that point I didn't really know. Um, so the treatment was fine. I mean, I, I reached the end. I... I uh, you know, I felt fine. Mm-hmm. And then uh, uh, about a few years later, though, was when I slowly start feeling uh, the health issues come on, right? Sorry, just to so, just on that point. So how did they close the gaps? Was it the elastic bands uh, and braces? Exactly. So they had a very thick braces, you know, the, you know, the, with the orthodontics, you can choose the thickness of the wire and stuff, like how forceful you want to go. They had the, 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 the more forceful one. You know, it was quite painful, honestly, actually. I took, now that I think about it, I hadn't really thought about it for many years. I had, I think I had more difficulty with uh, the sensitivity to the teeth and how much pressure they were applying on the teeth uh, compared to like for most people, I would say. I, I couldn't eat at all. Like my teeth were so sensitive. I couldn't eat for like maybe a month, maybe more than that. I would say maybe like almost two, up to two months. It was very difficult for me to chew. The teeth were in so much pain, you know. Right. They were like... Uh, Anyway, so I finished it, and uh, after we finished it, they put me on retainers, and and again, another ironic thing was that like they had completely closed the gaps, and in fact, if I was able to even get some gaps, that especially on the top, on the maxilla, if I actually was able to retain some space, the severity of my symptoms would not be as bad as it is, you know. Uh, but at that point, because I was so diligent, and because my teeth looked nice, right? They looked really nice at the end of the treatment. They looked so. Uh, uh, perfectly aligned that they told me you must wear a retainer all the time and i actually wore them i actually listened to them but i also had many peers for example that uh you know classmates of mine and all that that never wore it and their teeth actually just started to move back you know even the ones that had extractions the teeth the front teeth started to kind of go back out and there was like some of that gap that they had closed you know right so i never did that so i i, I ensured like that i'm like the teeth are there they're never gonna reopen back up on their own right so aesthetically Um, you were satisfied with the result uh you were happy with the outcome exactly yeah yeah because i was like worried that uh, if you don't wear your retainers it's gonna start moving in crazy directions and like you know it's gonna not look as aesthetically as it did at the end of this Mm -hmm. so uh my first symptom i would say was maybe about uh 14 years i would say it was 14 15 years Ironically, actually, I didn't feel it uh, in my jaw. You know, everybody thinks that when, when this problem, it, you just it feels like it's localized to just your jaw, your jaw joint, your teeth. Mm-hmm. People get pain in the face. 
And uh, I mean, I know that people who have this problem and I know a little bit about it know that you can also get neck issues, right? But I'm, I'm telling you that it can go, it, can, it affects your entire body, right? Sure. So one of the first things that I um, experienced was when uh, I started getting clicking in the knees, you know, like my knees would click. It's crazy. Like I have never had that. But I remember whenever I would play sports or when I'm sitting down and all that, like, you know how you can hear a click when you click, uh, crack your knuckles? Sure. Like, yeah. I would, I would hear that, like, just on its own, on my knee. Like, I would extend my knee, it would click. So how many years, how many years have passed since you've finished the treatment when you start hearing this clicking? I would say about, I can't really remember now, but I would say about three, three, four years, around three years, I would say. Okay. Right. Got it. So, but again, this is like, obviously, you know, it's just, it's just an observation at this point. Really didn't like affect my quality of my life. Yeah. And um, as we go on, I started also realizing I would get a little, uh, sometimes neck pain, you know, neck or back pain, and just felt like I was a little bit uncomfortable all the time. And uh, my posture also got worse, even though I was like an active kid, you know, I could, I could literally, uh, people actually commented on this stuff. People who knew me for a long time said that, you know, I used to have great posture as a kid, and they were like, you know, your posture is like, you're starting to get like forward head a little bit. Mm-hmm. But everybody thought, of course, it's like, oh, you need, you're probably doing too much. Like you're, cause you're studying also at heart and like, you know, people always say that, oh, it's probably that you need more sports, things like that. You need to stretch. You like, sit, sitting too much. That's a, that's a common yeah. one, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Or if, it's, if you ask parents, it's like you're watching, you're playing too many video games or something. <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, people really didn't. And again, I didn't take it too seriously either. It was just like, all right. Um, and but again, I think the first. You were about 18 at that point, right? 18, 19. Yeah, about, about, yeah. But I think by 18, though, I had another one, right? I started realizing that my sleep wasn't as good as it was before. Um, I was, uh, because when you're young, right, like, uh, you can go without, like, very little sleep. I mean, like, you know, I'm, kids around the world, uh, or they, especially in Asian countries, they work very hard for their exams and stuff. They do, like, 12, 15 hours a day of studying and all that. It's crazy, right? But the reason they're able to do that is, is when you're younger, you're just able to get away with more things. Mm-hmm. Your body is quite resilient. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I still felt like I could still go through the day. I could do my daily activities. But I realized by the time I was 18, I was I was always tired, you know? Like, uh, But at that time, I just thought that because I, I had to wake up. I would, I would wake up at, like, 6 every day. Uh, sorry, 5.30, I remember. Um, at 5.30, I would wake up every day for school and like, and so I just thought it's that, you know, like, oh, they're waking me. I'm waking up at 5.30. That's the reason that I feel tired. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, I actually learned that that was not the case, that even though I can sleep, try to sleep for like 10 hours a day and still feel tired in the day. This I only discovered when I was in college because in college, you know, like your timetable is based on like you, right? Like you don't have to wake up. Like if you have a class, then you go and all that. So I have had days where I would sleep 10 hours a night, mm-hmm. wake up for college, but I would still be tired. I would just be tired throughout the day. So I think this was my first kind of, my first actual symptom that would start affecting my life mm-hmm. that I could feel was, uh, you know, that was different. That something, something wrong is going on. Mm-hmm. I would also sometimes feel like my legs would be in pain, you know, like my, my, my legs and my, like I would be in a lot of pain in the morning. It was very weird. And, uh, and again, I later found out actually this is common in sleep apnea patients right. that you end up, but again, at this point, I don't know. I thought it was like, I would try to stretch the legs and all that, but I would wake up in a lot of pain below the hips. But at that point you can't connect the dots, right? You, you don't think about the treatment that you've been through with the orthodontics, right? You just think it's something else. Yeah, I mean that's for 
I think that's the, that's the truth for most people, right? They, yeah, it just, if, unless it's directly, <laughs> your symptoms are directly in your mouth, you would never connect it to, um, to anything else. So, uh, the next thing that was, uh, brought on was I started developing about my second year of college. I started developing, uh, pain in my growing, like right above, uh, you know, your penis, like <laughs> right above in the, below your belly button. That was where the pain would start. Like the groin area, you mean? Yeah, pel- like right above that. It's like the where the bone. hips. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and it started with something kind of like uh, a throbbing pain, like something that is very annoying, but like you can kind of live with. But it slowly started becoming something worse. You know, it started becoming like excruciating pain. It, it was almost like a like a burning pain. Like I, it, it, when I tried to do some research online myself, I found out that it's like it's like a nerve related pain. You know, like that's how a nerve related pain should be should feel like. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, nobody in the right mind would think that it's coming to, it started because of your jaw or something. It's crazy to think about. Sure. So I suffered with that for so long. I mean, it was, I, it got to a point where sometimes the symptoms would come on and I would be in pain for one or two hours and it would kind of go away on its own. You know, like when I shift positions or like I, I lie down, something or the other would kind of make it go away. But then it went to a point where I was getting that pain for like three, four days. Mm-hmm. Like I just would not be able to even sleep properly because the pain was so much like it would it would keep me up almost, mm-hmm. you know, and it was got to a point where it was ridiculous. I almost considered dropping out of college because I could not perform at school like the way I wanted when I'm constantly in pain. My sleep was completely off and um, like it was, it was making me even more exhausted. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I tried everything. Honestly, I went to the local doctor. So I went to a university in a pretty small town. So there was only one big hospital in that area. So I, I consulted there and um, I also um, I went to an acupuncturist, someone who was supposed to be like renowned in that town. Mm-hmm. Nothing really helped, right? Everybody had their own theories. What was interesting was that the they checked at the, I mean, the normal hospital, they checked for, um, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, hernia, right? Mm-hmm. They were checking for hernia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then they thought perhaps it's uh, something that is a rare known condition in men called testicular torsion. It's apparently when the, the tubes that lead to your testicles get twisted. But again, this is very rare, right? It doesn't ha- happen to most men. But again, they couldn't actually specifically 100% say that you have this, right? It was just a guess, sort of, like, why are this guy in pain? And I actually went to a urologist because they just thought, oh, it's a growing area. It's got to be the urologist. Mm. So he did. He asked me to do x-rays and scans and this and that. Nothing. Actually, it was not showing up on that. It just showed you it was healthy, zero issues. Right. And so then I think he started because they told me that there's a surgery for that. There's a surgery for uh, to prevent testicular torsion. That's usually done, by the way, for patients who have already experienced it. Right. This happens to especially people who play sports. Sometimes that happens. There are a lot of pain. They have to literally, uh, like, go in there and just kind of anchor your your private parts, like like inside. I mean, right. And uh, but again, this is only done. Like, it's not just done for like just random people. You know, it's mainly done for someone who's already experienced the once or twice. Then then it's bound to happen again mm-hmm. that they do that. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to do that, and I had no idea what to do because I'm in pain. And uh, I tried to ask people that I like family and friends and stuff. And they were all kind of scared. They were like, especially my family, they were like, yeah, I mean, if the doctor says you need to do it, you know, probably do the surgery. Like, you can't live like this, right? Sure. Now, what was interesting is that, like, uh, because this is in the U.S. and, like, you know, the doctors are very scared about, uh, like, getting sued or doing the wrong surgery, you know. 
uh, I think because I asked him many questions and I said, I'm willing to do the, the surgery. But I asked, my question was that, you know, you said the typical symptoms, like if someone has testicular torsion, it's called intermittent testicular torsion, actually. So he says, if you have that, if you're experiencing that, a man will be in deep pain in the growing area for about one hour, right? And after that, actually, um, it should go away. Right. But I've had times where I've been in pain for two, for like two days, you know, mm-hmm. continuously. Mm-hmm. But this really confused him, right? So he didn't know what to do. And he was like, uh, I don't know, let me get back to you, do this, do that. And then he, I, they just stopped taking my calls pretty much. The doctor, you know, I was like at the, at the verge of doing the surgery, but I still wasn't fully satisfied. So I had some more questions, some more questions. And they finally told me they'll get back to me. But like, it was like that. They just kind of closed the door on that because I think the surgeon was scared that, you know, what if, like, he didn't want to, uh, do the surgery and then you know like it backfiring so um yeah which actually turned out to be i mean that's one of the best things that happened to me i think <laughs> in this kind of troubled life honestly because i think that would have led to a whole another uh, set of problems because i actually googled it a lot of people have issues after that surgery and uh even people who had you know intro- who needed that you know they just pr- pr- like they had a lot of symptoms or um uh, what do you call it? Complications of the surgeries and issues. And it just wasn't something that you just kind of do when you forget about, you know. Did they put you on any like painkillers or any medications, anything like that? They did. Yeah. So I was given painkillers and uh, a couple of things like they just thought would kind of help me handle it. It didn't really work, honestly. The painkiller didn't address the situation. Mm-hmm. So I stopped taking it, actually, because they were very powerful painkillers. You know, I don't want to get addicted to them. Mm-hmm. Right. So actually, this turned out to be a good thing because within about four to five months, I started d- developing uh, symptoms in the jaw joints and the face, and you know, and that's when I kind of learned the actual word TMD, TM, you know, TMJD. Because what it was interesting is that like I developed started clicking and popping in the joints, and I would feel like my my bite constantly shifted. Like every time I would bite or swallow, my bite would keep shifting. You know, this I developed about literally four or five months after this uh, almost surgery situation. But what was very interesting was that I realized once the popping and clicking started and my jaw started to move, like I didn't know, my it's like my brain got confused where to bite. You know, like I would sort of bite to the left, bite to the right. Like it's like the jaw was really kind of wonky mm-hmm. and it felt very unstable at that time. And it got worse. I was trying to like look up some exercises on YouTube or something like that and experiencing it and nothing really. There was no proper solution. I tried some self-help exercises, this and that. Anyway. Were you still wearing your retainer ca- at that point? No. So that's a good question, actually. So I had actually stopped by this point. But for the most part, my teeth were stable at this point, right? So I still had the retainer with me. Except for some minor movement, the teeth were where they had left me. You know, Because I wore the retainer for almost four, three, four years, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, first full-time, exactly in compliance with what they had told me. Um, I, I wore something called a Howley retainer, which is a wire that goes across the front and the inside has a plastic shaped to the, to the shape of your arch. Uh-huh. Right. So uh, I was not wearing the retainer at night at this point, but I, it still fit, right? I could still wear it. I still had it with me um, and it still fit. But uh, I started developing all these things. So it was not the bite, right? That's a good question. Sometimes people always say, the dentists always say, no, it's because your bite's shifted. So perhaps that's why. But it's not actually because I still had my, I, in fact, I had more retainers made uh, because I was panicking that 
my front teeth were kind of slowly starting to move, you know, they looked so perfect that when they started to move, I panicked actually. So I actually ordered some Amazon retainers, the clear aligners, like, mm-hmm. sorry, the clear retainers mm-hmm. just to wear it at night, you know, to keep this. So at this point I was also wearing those retainers on and off just to make sure that the teeth don't move, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so the bite was shifting and like my, where my jaw closed was moving around, right? This was obviously very scary, but I realized that if I kind of bite in one way, the pain in my growing went away. It was like there was like a, a relief in my spine, you know? Like, because I think I forgot to mention one thing. The pain, when I talked about the pain and the issues in the growing, it would always connect. It was almost like a referral pain from the uh, the bones of the hips, mm-hmm. like from the behind, you know? Mm-hmm. Like that little point where uh, you can actually feel. Like, if you just protrude, put your fingers on your hips, you can feel the bone protrude on both sides, yeah. right? Yes, yes. So, I know exactly what you mean. I mean, the pelvis itself is very connected to uh, to the jaw. So it's no wonder. Yeah. So I would feel referral pain there, you know. So that's when it, these are kind of the things that prevented me from actually jo- jumping into the surgery because they kept telling me about testicular torsion and this and that. But I'm, I, I knew the pain for me was also somehow connected to the hips mm-hmm. and the pelvis. Mm-hmm. So uh, and it went away, actually. It got better. Like I would be in, sometimes I would get that pain in the growing and I'd be like, oh, my God, I'm winning. I don't know when it's going to go away. Right. I tried moving around, sitting down, getting up, trying to stretch and all that. And then I would. My jaws would pop and click and my occlusion would shift. I would sometimes bite more forward or something. And then that pain would go away. You know, it was crazy for me to make this connection. But like the way I bite or the where the jaw was, like the hip would reflect that. And in fact, the, the, the it's like the jaw had kind of come free. Like it was in an unusual position. It was being forced into an unusual position mm-hmm. because of the retraction during the orthodontics that it finally broke free almost, you know, where I started getting the popping and clicking and the jaw wanted to almost go forward, but it can't because the front teeth were in the way almost. The mandible wanted to kind of swing further forward. Like this is how I felt. Um, and like, I, I really wanted to bite more forward. I wanted to, like, I felt more comfortable jutting out my mandible a little bit, but then obviously the front teeth, upper front teeth were in the way. Sure. Right. So this is where my journey with uh, uh, starting to meet with dentists of, uh, who so-called specialize in, in, uh, in this kind of TMD dentistry. So I went to a lot. I mean, a whole list of them. Uh, I went to one that told me, a local one that said, we need to, you need to do something called dental equilibration, which is where they take a dental drill and drill down certain cusps on your teeth to make it a balance. They so use bite paper blue paper that I'm sure anybody who's been to a dentist would recognize Mm -hmm. where they ask you to bite down on it, which leaves marks, um, on the, uh, on the, uh, like on your teeth. And they would just kind of drill that away. Uh, so so to supposedly make the bite forces apply evenly on the teeth, you know? So I actually did some Googling of this and I kind of heard mostly bad things, you know, at this point, I don't know why I've never, thought about finding the Facebook group, the TMD group, but they're actually a great source of information. And they actually, but I, at that point, I don't know why it never occurred to me, even though I had a Facebook account, I just checked on Google and there was a forum, a TMD and something, for, I can't remember the name, but it was a, like an old school style, you know, forum where people could like, uh, like just write comments, posts. And I had seen some people saying that do not get this. It makes things worse and all that. So I actually avoided this, right? When the local dentist suggested this, I said, I don't want to do that because I, I don't really fully understand this problem. I don't want to do this. And at that point, actually, I thought my problem was muscular because I had a lot of pain in my cheeks, my face. The, the, the muscles of my face always felt kind of unbalanced. Sure. And anytime I smiled or, or laughed, it made things way worse. You know, like I was ridiculous because 
I would actually avoid uh, trying to laugh or I would not even watch anything funny or, you know, because it would hurt when I laughed. It's, it's crazy to think about, but like, this is, this is where this problem led me. And, um, it, I mean, obviously I think anybody with this problem, it has a big toll on your social life and, and, you know, especially for a college kid, my second two years, I kind of hid in my apartment, avoiding a lot of the friends and people that I had made my first one or two years. Um, and again, it's hard to explain to people, right? Why would someone that was like very fun, always like ready to hang out, just not wanting to avoid that. They don't understand it. They couldn't, you know, literally understand why, like, how does it, how does your face hurt when you laugh? Or like, you know, like it just, it's too hard for them to imagine that I think for normal people. Right. So I started the next treatment that I did was I went to a guy in Chicago. I was going there regularly. Um, and uh, he gave me a splint. This was my first splint. And uh, he told me that uh, if you wear the, start wearing the splint, you know, I think he told me, this is the exact thing he told me. So he told me that it's going to be like, ah, like, just, like you just, as soon as you wear the splint, it's going to be like, ah, like you just relax. Right. So that was not the case. Right. I, I went again and again and again. They did multiple iterations of correcting the splint. It's the same thing like of dental equilibration, except they use articulating paper on the splint itself. The splint was for to balance your bite, right? He says these kind of issues happen because your your muscles are imbalanced and uh, your bite is imbalanced. Basically, you're hitting harder on one side or even within the same side, okay. maybe more in the front compared to the back type thing. So it was an occlusional splint. Yeah, it was a flat splint actually. Right. Okay. And uh, and obviously, like he said, it didn't actually fix anything i mean i i was seeing him uh, a lot to, because you need to come in regularly to get it adjusted because he says as the body relaxes you need to keep doing it again and again and so this was also my first introduction to tensing right which is i'm sure many people who have this problem would probably know about it is when they attract attach the electrical nose it's like patches mm -hmm. to the muscles of your face actually tensing is something that a lot of athletes and other kind of people do it, it's just a electric pulse that's sent to your muscles and um and that causes the muscles to relax. It's almost like forcibly relaxing mm -hmm. the muscles. Mm -hmm. So this was adopted by a lot of dentists to use it on the face, the facial muscles, um, in hopes. And obviously, it's a lower current than what you would use on your like your back or your your chin. I mean, sorry, your your knees or something like that. Mm -hmm. But it was. And so this is the idea: is that you relax the muscles of the face um, because you know on TNT patients, a lot of muscles are very tight. You know, so they skew where your teeth are going to hit your actual occlusion. So the idea is that you relax your face and then capture it in the bite. You, you know, you grind away and then balance it out with the plastic bite so that you kind of stay there. Like this, this the relation, the occlusion where your muscles are the most relaxed. This is the concept at least. Right. So this obviously didn't work either, right? We can fast forward through this. It didn't work. I then tried, um, uh, actually, but this time the mistake I made was I was in so much pain once that he convinced me that it's because the the splint is not enough, that we should go to a point where we take out the splint and do the dental equilibration that we had, that I had talked about with the earlier dentist. Mm -hmm. And I actually let him do it because this is, you know, when you're in pain, you make decisions that you don't really want to. You know, when you're sleep deprived and, and you're in pain for years, you just want your normal life back. And so I just, I agreed to it in a moment of, um, you know, a moment that I regret to this day. And he went ahead and grilled, drilled, drilled, a lot of the cusps mm -hmm. and uh, it because he said this is the better bite but i i, I did it actually it made things way worse um uh, 
because like my cusp, I had very strong cusps, you know, it was great for chewing and all that. I never had any issues chewing before this. And after this, it was a mess. Like I, I felt so weak when it came to chewing. I never felt my, my whole body felt so kind of uneven, unstable after this point. Right. Like I didn't feel like a grip. Like I felt weakness in my hands and stuff when I tried to open like a bar of uh, like a, uh, a, what do you call it? A jar of a sauce or something like that. You just felt very weak in the body. Mm-hmm. And it was like, uh, and the thing is though, I guess I, it's like a half empty jar. What do you call it? Like <laughs> half, half full, half empty glass. Right. Um, yeah. Because uh, the one thing that he did do was he wanted more money, even though I'd already paid him a lot of money. He wanted more money to do the other side. So I actually did the collaboration only on one side, actually, not the other. He wanted to do even more, actually. So I guess in that way, like, I, I prevented more of my teeth to getting messed up. But it was not. Like, it didn't really do anything. Like, uh, no, I think he did one layer of equilibration, but he wanted to do another round, I think. Yeah, he did He did touch on all the teeth, but he said he wanted to do some more. Mm-hmm. So I said, I, I gave up at that point, but, you know, the damage was done, right? What followed was a huge difference in uh, instability. I constantly felt unstable, very weak in the body. Um, kind of like I felt like my hands would shake all the time, and it was just a mess. So I started with another guy in Chicago as well who wanted to do a little different approach, right? He gave me a flat split, but on the lower. And he said that your jaw is most relaxed when it's when it relaxes, the jaw goes back, right? I don't understand this theory, but this is what he told me. He said, when your jaw is relaxed, it goes back a little bit. Mm-hmm. It pulls back a little bit. Mm-hmm. And he was trying to find that. He was he would put the splint on the lower upper, like the lower front teeth. It was a surface, a plastic surface that goes over your lower teeth, lower front teeth. And that's where like your upper teeth and kind of rests on, you know? Right. Like it's like a, it was a very unique design compared to a lot of the splints that people generally wear. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was the same thing. We tense, he had something called needling where he would poke the pterygoid muscles inside your mouth mm-hmm. because these are the muscles that would tighten up a lot in TMT patients. Yeah. And he said, just tensing alone uh, is not enough to relax them. You need something further. Yeah. So, I mean, this was something unique and he said it was like a, and he even said it was like a money back guarantee and blah, blah, very good marketing. But again, this was also very expensive treatment. I mean, thankfully at that point I had, he, they were able to build my medical insurance for that. And at least I could claim most of it all because it was very expensive. I mean, without that insurance or even that type of insurance, you know, I don't think the average person could have afforded it. Um, but uh, I started, but it was all for a waste of my time. You know, I, I had to, uh, I lived, I didn't live in Chicago's point. I was a couple hours away. So I had to, Go there, uh, take this treatment. Yeah, these treatments in, in, in the States are expensive, aren't they? Um, compared to Europe, for example, they're much more expensive. Yeah, for sure. Because each session I had to pay, uh, again, the insurance covered most of it, but it was like uh, the each session was $250, right. know, like out of pocket, right? which is insanity because they wanted he wanted me to come see him every week. Right. So... Um, I mean, like I said, I paid about $20 because the insurance paid the rest, but that was just a pure like luck thing. You know, I had normal medical insurance, but somehow they were able to, um, apparently it's like a case by case thing. This is what the, the office person told me that they were able to somehow get the insurance to accept and reimburse that because they tried to file it as like a, a medical thing. You know, if it was done as a dental thing, <laughs> I would, everybody else, most people were paying full out of pocket. Mm-hmm. And the thing about this thing is that you have to do it every week. So you go in, he tenses you. And he, he uses the needle to needle, like just poke your pterygoid muscle. And then that apparently causes it to relax like crazy. And then you adjust the splint, and right? Did, did you, did you feel the, the relaxation of the muscle? 
my coin. Yeah, so he was right about the pterygoid, right? When he pokes it, the pterygoid does relax. You can like physically feel it. Mm. It relaxes a lot. Mm-hmm. Like that poking thing actually works. But then it comes back. However, <laughs> right. yeah, exactly. It comes back, yeah. Uh, but then what happened is I literally, I mean, first of all, they had already t- taken out by four bicuspids, right? Two on the top, two on the bottom, and closed all the teeth back. But I, it's like after this point, my jaw started to go back even further. Like he said, this is a good thing, good thing. But it got to a point where I started developing an overbite again, you know, which is crazy. Like, I don't think, and they, in fact, he actually took scans of my joints. And he said that your, your disc, your joints, your left joint is quite damaged. Like it's starting to beak. It's called beaking. Mm-hmm. And that the discs are out of place. And he also pointed out that you have a tongue thrust, that you, your tongue, the way you swallow is incorrect. Right. So I was like, okay, how do I fix that? I got zero answer. Like, not even joking. This was my, I asked him point blank, what do I do? You said it's a big problem. How do I fix it? I heard nothing. He just went on to the next topic. <laughs> so, right. Uh, but yeah, so I did six months to a year of this. A lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of energy going there back and forth. And it didn't really, I mean, I it, it, it was a weird situation because as, as long as I didn't smile or speak or anything like that, I was pain free, you know. But if I started to speak for a long time or something, my face would not start hurting again. So this is where I was. Mm-hmm. Like, but thankfully wearing that splint, because remember that splint also has adds height, right? It also kind of opens up your jaw a little bit. So this actually helped me feel better when it comes to the growing pain that we were talking about earlier. That, that went away. Actually, it felt like my spine was a little bit more stretched out, you know, just having that extra height on your like molar height. Right. So, uh, I, and that was it. So by this time I had somehow managed to you know, graduate with this problem. And uh, literally, I was literally trying to get a job, graduate, everything just to fix this problem, you know. And uh, this was around the time that I had uh, started to discover this uh, Facebook group, TMD Discussions. I think it's called by a different name now. But that uh, I was able to actually connect and understand, speak to some like people who have this. There's like thousands of people with this problem. A lot of them actually started, the issue started after extractions. Mm-hmm. And uh, after connecting with so many of them, I realized the common uh, what do you call it? The common symptom or the common experience they all went through was the fact that they had bicuspid extractions. Right. And it seemed like the ones that had it during childhood had were were faring even worse. You know, the worst ones seemed to be the ones that had during childhood. And it's like they go through 10, 20 years of facial development. Sorry, about 10, 15 years of facial development mm-hmm. with that restricted archway. You know, I think it really kind of inhibits your full development of your face, honestly. Sure, sure. And, but then, so, so I heard this thing over and over again was that you need to reopen the spaces. You need to reopen the spaces, move the front teeth back, uh, forward, I mean, to where they used to be, you know, allow that lower jaw to come forward. And this is, this aligned with what I had thought about before, right? I always felt like well, if I just kind of bite even more forward, I, my jaw, my, my back would relax, you know? So I knew this, there's a connection there somehow. Mm-hmm. And uh, why would jaw joints be kind of displaced on its own, right? Why would they happen? Like there was nothing else. I was not because usually people always say like if you're in a fist fight or you get you're in a car accident or something, this is what causes the jaw to dislocate. But why were mine that way? There was no trauma like that, right? So I actually kind of uh, was like holding on to that last splint I wore, which is that the one that with the flat surface, lower, you know, with the pterygoid muscle one. And, uh, but it was going nowhere. Like I just kept doing that, but I knew this is not a solution. And because by this time I had kind of got into my head that I need to open the spaces, open the spaces. 
I, I had moved somewhere else for a job and I, I actually literally found someone that was doing an ALF treatment, you know, the advanced light wire, light forces. I don't know what mm-hmm. it's called, light wire forces. Yes, yes. So I decided to do that and I did that and uh, like they said that, don't worry, we can expand you. We've done a lot of expansion on people. Um, and like they showed me cases of people that had kind of a twisted, like a uh, twist in the face. Um, this is a question. Sorry, this is an important one. So, how was your maxilla at that point? Is it still very narrow, or yeah, right? That's a good question. It was definitely very narrow, both upper and lower. I would say it was very narrow. And mm-hmm. like I said, I don't think that um, the kind of retraction of the uh, orthodontics helps. You know, most people actually, this is like a, a go through orthodontics actually lose some, unless explicitly they're doing some sort of expansion with like a maxillary expander mm-hmm. if you just do bracelet actually a lot of people experience this because the pressure of the wires kind of starts to push the arches closer together mm. but mine especially were really small and i'm not saying that it was huge before the extractions but uh, it definitely was small at the uh, you know later on i was still mouth breathing at this point as well right you know right what, were you, what about the tongue were you able to hold the tongue i mean at that point you probably were not even aware of the proper tongue position Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I had no idea where the tongue was supposed to be. I didn't know about mewing or myofunctional therapy, anything. I had zero idea about any of this. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, they told me that we could do the ALF, we could reopen for you. And, and But again, the thing is, though, they never actually gave me like an exact timeline. You know, they showed me that it's called, uh, that uh, like, you know, there's, there's distortions of the face, the skull, like the cranium called like left side bend. And there's like all these different terms where they talk about how, for people that have a distorted skull, you know, yes, yeah. and they showed me yeah. pictures of patients in even adults, like where um, the skull got better. Like they, there's a guy with a uh, like a distortion to, to it's a left side distortion, I think. And then they aligned after the ALF after six months of it, they, his face looked much more symmetrical. Mm-hmm. So I was I was like, as long as if I get better, I'm okay. Right? I'm, I'm willing to try this. And this sounded so amazing, like so scientific, that I decided to go ahead with it. And uh, but again, the problem was that at this point, my neck was not doing well either. You know, the fact that I never felt comfortable with the neck, like it just always felt like I was unstable in my neck as well. It, it started like it already it was not super severe, but it already started. And as part of the ALF, they said I need buildups on the remaining bus cut, lower bicuspids, the remaining two that I had, they would put buildups on it because they said you need to disseclude the back teeth, as in the back teeth are not touching. Because he said the ALF, while it's expanding, if the teeth are in contact, it won't move. The teeth won't move, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So this felt even worse because your entire bite is kind of like hanging on the two bite pads, like the little buildups, you know? And at this point, my tongue was also on, always in the bottom of my mouth that I remember I, I would go to the dentist almost every second day because I would always feel unbalanced. I would feel like I'm hitting more on the right, more left, more right, more left. I think, I think that's the only way. I paid them a lot of money as well. In fact, I took a loan to pay them. I think the only money that I got back was the time that I took from this dental office because I would constantly see them over and over to adjust that bite, saying it's I'm hitting more on the left, more on the right. But it was like an endless chase. Mm. You know, it was just like I could never get to that end line. It was there was never a point, and my muscle would keep hurting. My facial muscles keep hurting. Right. And so I actually was I by this time because I had learned some more from uh, like Facebook groups and like, you know, they're looking online and all that. I realized there's a thing like called where a position of the tongue, you know, the tongue needs to be on the roof of the mouth. And there used to be this a wonderful um, uh, 
I forgot the name, uh, uh, a website by this uh, Korean gentleman. I forgot the name, but he used to actually was one of the first people that actually started talking about uh, uh, about mewing and all that. Like, you know, but actually he didn't call it mewing, obviously. He just called it like, this is how our ancestors did it. And he kind of go, went into that whole science about where the tongue should be and all that. And um, I started actually trying to do it myself, but I couldn't. I couldn't. I just could not hold the tongue up on the roof. You know, it was absolutely crazy for me. Because one of the things said on that website was you need to smile like an exa- like a joker, like, you know, from Batman, like an exaggerated smile, look up and then just kind of like try to suck up the tongue, you know, but my tongue was so weak, I couldn't do it. Like it was so weak, I just couldn't even do it for a few seconds. But that few seconds made my neck feel amazing. You know, my neck felt really supported, especially, you know, the state I was in with like all the weak neck and all that. And so I knew there's some truth here, like I need to somehow learn myofunctional therapy. Mm-hmm. So I approached everybody, mm-hmm. everybody and anybody I could. I searched my the entire city that I was living in. Nobody, nobody knew. Like I couldn't find a single person. I'm sure there was someone there, but I couldn't find them. So almost after a few months of searching, I found a, a wonderful lady who teaches myofunctional therapy through Zoom or like through Skype, right? So she actually lives in California and she has almost, but she also was a bicuspid patient as a child. Uh, she had to have jaw surgery as an adult because of all these issues. Uh, but she understood, you know, and she told me that uh, doing myofunctional therapy really helps with, with supporting the bite and, and, and help bringing more stability to the body, relief of symptoms. And so I paid her money and I would I would Skype, Skype with her once a week. And uh, we she sent me a box of, of, of like a tools, like a spoon and a balloon and like, all kinds of crazy little things that actually use there because we learned about almost like a hundred, not even a hundred, maybe like 50 different types of uh, like biofunctional exercises mm-hmm. with all these different tools. And uh, like they, and it helped and it actually worked. Like I did them, and I did them, and I did them. I went from a point where I would rush home after work because my face would be so much pain because I had to speak at work all day. And I would just come home and I would have to literally drink I would have to drink a, a, like a, one beer or something every single day or like to just kind of calm down the muscles. That's how much in pain I was. To be able to, that pain kind of went away. Like it just kind of like 95% of the pain went away just by retraining the neck. Sorry, retraining the tongue to stay on the roof of your mouth. Mm-hmm. Like it's crazy. Mm-hmm. And the kind of obsession that I had with where I would constantly feel like I'm hitting more on the left, more on the right. The, the brain kind of stops putting so much emphasis on the bite. You know, even if it's not uneven, the tongue does the job of keeping your head upright that even if it's not touching perfectly, mm-hmm. it's fine. You know, my only regret was that I wish I had learned or stumbled into this myofunctional therapy before I had done the dental equilibration and all the other unnecessary treatments that I'd done before this. It would have been a great place to start, honestly. Um, so from there, we, but again, none of this addressed it. Actually, I started developing more neck issues because I, I was only contacting in the front. I felt like my neck was getting strained all the time. Um, and it didn't help that I used to have a desk job and like working with the computer all the time. It felt like my, I started developing something called, I like to call it like, like a fight or flight, right? It's when your body's in a constant state of fight or flight. It's like an adrenaline rush all the time. Like it's like when someone scares you, you know, you get that feeling. Mm-hmm. Like I was in that feeling all the time. And my pulse would race. I would feel clammy. I would feel sweaty. And I knew it was coming from the neck because when I lie flat, um, the symptom would kind of calm down. It would go away. But if I'm, if I'm like pulling my neck forward too much, like if I'm driving or like, you know, I'm like reading something or a work, 
I can feel it come on. Yeah, you know? if, and it's like if, if you're in a vertical state, basically it comes back. But if you're yes. laying down, it is better. Yes. Yeah. And especially when your neck is strained forward, right? You have to remember that your teeth actually uh, proprioceptively prevents your your uh, head from moving go, going too forward. Actually, like the you end up so you end up straining your upper back, let's say, um, because that's how occlusion works. There's markers that prevent your jaw from. Like, uh, uh, that's just how occlusion is, actually. It prevents your jaw, lower jaw from moving too much to the le- left, too much to the right, mm-hmm. or too much forward also. Um, it's the reason that you can only, like, if you make an underbite, like, on purpose, you can't push your lower jaw past a certain point, right? Because that's how it tells the brain that we can't go any further. Sure. But when you don't have any bite, when you're just touching on two points of, like, what do you call it, of your bicuspids, that's it. That's the entire contact. None of your molars are touching. Obviously, your body doesn't have that. So I would feel like I'm using my upper back more than my neck when I'm like uh, leaning forward to read a book or typing or something I'm like unconsciously obviously right and I this was crazy to me because nobody could explain why I'm getting this how to fix it and I realized the more I wore the alf the tighter the alf was uh it the more the worse the symptom got right my dentist also was getting frustrated because my teeth were not opening the upper teeth were not the gaps were not opening as we predicted i mean he was able to make some gaps on a much older patient but apparently i think their teeth it also depends on like the quality of like how strong your teeth are and all that right Mm -hmm. so they were able to make some progress on this other patient uh like i mean it took a long time but for me we were seeing no progress and he tried to tighten the alf more and more he was trying to use that alf as like a teeth like a toothborne appliance just kind of push the teeth out of the way you know right and uh we got nowhere. We got nowhere. And eventually, we just decided to um, kind of uh, give up on that. And uh, we just went to a conclusion that, like, I think this is the time to, you know, like, we can't do this anymore. We're going to have to give up. And for me, uh, anytime I would put the because the elf was something I could take off, anytime I would take it off, I would actually feel a little bit better, you know, because my neck was feeling like it was getting less stra- strained. But if I put the alpha on, I felt like my neck was so weak and I'm, it's getting pulled forward. I'm straining my back and then back. Boom. Mm-hmm. Fight or flight. Right. Were they trying to so expand? Again, sorry. Were they trying to expand the maxilla in any way with the alpha? Or was this like not, not part of the plan? Yeah. I mean, the plan was to expand the maxilla and create gaps between all the teeth. And then eventually you would be able to transfer that teeth to the front. Or like move it around basically and right. transfer the space to the front. Right, where the premolars used to be. They were the extracted. Yeah. Ones. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, but again, I we at this point I I didn't even finish the treatment and uh, you know at this point they were like, well, we can continue, continue, and I said, no, I got to try something else. I made a little detour trying to do a lower alf. Sorry, a lower because um, they actually manufactured by the way a lower alf as well. I should have mentioned this as well. It was a top and lower. And what's interesting was that actually I started developing gaps in the lower with the ALF, actually. Mm. They just started to open up on their own. And uh, the guy that was doing the ALF told me that the retractions was done so poorly that during my initial orthodontics, you know, that they didn't actually move the roots of the lower teeth backward. They just kind of tipped them backward, you know. So I was actually able to reopen spaces with the ALF on the lower. But again, this is useless without reopening the top because you get an unbalanced. You need both to open top and lower, right? Mm. Right. So we had to let them close. I had to let the bottom actually close up when I abandoned that treatment. And then I tried uh, upper alf and a lower flat splint, a gelb splint, mm-hmm. um, 
Um, maybe because we thought maybe that could prevent the fight or flight and perhaps uh, make me feel comfortable like while we're doing this treatment, while we try to continue to expand. Um, again, this didn't help me either. You know, I just had more issues, honestly. I still continue to have the fight or flight. And wearing a flat splint for me actually started giving me um, a brain fog, you know. I felt kind of very kind of uh, like out of out of myself. Out of, Like I felt very kind of off mentally. Felt kind of bl- like blocked in the head all the time. It was very weird. I had never experienced this before. I started developing like brain fog. I felt kind of like like I just couldn't think, um, you know. And I because when you were and I, this combination didn't work for me at all. So I thought and again I still wanted to reopen. Even that wasn't working, right? If it, even if I was opening, I just felt like my teeth were getting slightly tipped. Nothing more than that. Mm-hmm. So I, I decided to wrap all this up and I decided that I have to do something straightforward, very focused on reopening the spaces. Right. You know, just that has to just brute force open the teeth because I knew at this point because I had already done a lot of physical therapy. I actually saw someone who's like literally does physical therapy for TND patients. You know, he gets people from all around the mm-hmm. world mm-hmm. to come uh, and he treats them. And and, um, and so he was very knowledgeable about the muscles of the body and all that. Very knowledgeable. But again, it's like we we're trying to fix the symptoms rather than fix the root cause. So. When he would put me back like into the right position and ask me to like find out which muscles are weak and all this, a full body analysis. When you do them, all I could feel was my lower jaw wanting to go forward, mm-hmm. being stopped by the upper front teeth. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's like it's getting stopped. So again, I, it, it came back to the same thing that I needed to reopen the spaces. Right. I also consulted with uh, surgeons that said that, uh, oh, you know, you can uh, you can do double jaw surgery. We can... Um, Okay, by this time, I also forgot to mention another thing. My sleep had deteriorated to a, a very poor uh, stage, you know. I had certainly developed sleep apnea. I was constantly tired, very, very uh, exhausted. Even if I sleep 10, 12 hours a day, mm-hmm. I would wake up every morning extremely exhausted. And even though I would sleep at like 9, right, and I would go to work extremely exhausted. I would be scared to drive because I always felt like I'm going to just kind of crash somewhere because I was so tired. And, uh, and it just got worse, right? And I didn't really know what was causing it. What caused, caused it to get worse? It had slowly gotten worse and it was starting to affect my life at this point. And you would, you'd um, never be rested when you wake up, right? Yes. I would always be extremely exhausted, always yawning. My eyes would tear up because, because when you're, when you're, when you're not, when you're not, uh, when you're sleep deprived, your eyes water. Sometimes they get dry and it starts watering mm. and I keep, keep yawning. It was terrible. So I, they did a, so then I had to, I saw this top surgeon in California who told me that, you know, you, you can stop wasting your time with these appliances. You're, you're, uh, you're retruded from the extractions. So we're going to need to do double jaw surgery and fix it. Mm-hmm. Now I would, I'm okay with that. Right. But the problem is I told him I had all these other issues. I have these neck issues. I have this fight or flight issue. My bite is completely off. How do we know that, uh, that if you just do the surgery for the airway, what, what happens to the rest? Like, we don't know how that's going to react. Right? How was your body at that stage as well? Like, did you see any like deviations and, you know, shoulder drop or the pelvis uh, shift? I did. Yeah, I did. But to be fair, I didn't really experience them as symptoms. You know, there was no pain at this point, like uneven pain, at least. I know a lot of TMD patients experience uh, like shoulder pain one side, you know, mm-hmm. or like knee pain on one side. For me, at that point, I was not feeling it. I mean, I could see in the mirror that I was starting to kind of, uh, like, my stance was not good. I was putting more weight on one foot than the other. Mm-hmm. And these things were happening. Right. 
Um, but then, you know, there's like, it's like your brain just focuses on things that is giving you discomfort at that point, you know? Right. And so I was only focused on the airway to sleep and how it was like ridiculous. I couldn't sleep at all. I was just exhausted all the time. I mean, keep in mind, I'm in my early twenties, you know, and I had no other health issues. Like this should be my peak of my health, honestly. Mm -hmm. And I felt miserable. So I, and then they suggested surgery, right? But I didn't want to commit to that because I wanted to at least get to a comfortable bite or somewhere where like that I know is like we're heading in the right direction. I had all these new symptoms come up, this, that, this, that, that I didn't want to just go in. Because double jaw surgery is a very serious commitment, you know, and also you need to do a couple of years of orthodontics to get to that point. And, uh, you know, there are some amazing outcomes and we've heard about them. But I've, I've also interacted with people that were in a state like me or you, you know, that had extractions, a lot of very peculiar symptoms that uh, and then they do double jaw surgery it fixes their airway but then they continue to or even fixes some of the earlier symptoms but they end up with some whole new ones that they don't know why or why it's happening sure you know? sure so i i wanted to make sure or at least find a surgeon that a team that would at least address this and nope and, and all, i got answers like literally uh like i had another top surgeon you know went to harvard and like like he had a waiting list for half a year and i actually got it through because a referral from a friend that i was able to go see him and he said, yeah, yeah, I can, we can do this. You're an easy case. I'll just, this is the surgery we need to do. We'll fix it. And I told him about my other symptoms. Then I said, I know it's related to like, you know, I have, I have neck symptoms now. And he just said, well, I don't know. I can't, I can't guarantee you that. Then I said, well, it's a very serious symptom. Like it's affecting my life a lot. So he's like, you just see a neck doctor. <laughs> so, so yeah. there's, there's no way I can do a surgery when uh, clearly that with, you know, just common sense, you can tell all of this is, uh, tied up together but i can't just go operate on the head thinking that it's like it's a different part of the body yeah it's a, it's like a gamble and a risk right you're not willing to take it's just too much at exactly stake. sure so then i tried um i tried all i tried to do some uh i tried to do do-it-yourself splints there was a big movement at that point with people um uh, trying to do something called Starecta. it was like a facebook group yeah where they talk about uh, doing uh, like making your splints, giving yourself molar height to kind of stretch out the spine. You know? mm -hmm. So I thought maybe because I could feel like my my spine was getting crushed, right? I thought maybe this could help. Um, but again, I couldn't even tolerate it for one day, you know, because I, my my jaws and I, I was already so narrow. Just even wearing that splint for one day was like I felt like I was choking. Like I when I would literally wake up in 10, 20 minutes if I tried to sleep with it, mm -hmm. like out of breath. So nothing worked, and I, but I, it all came back to the same thing. Reopen the spaces, allow the lower jaw to come forward. Because when I would do the, all the exercises, because at this point, my posture was also collapsing, and my physical therapist was giving me some amazing, very tailored ex exercises. Mm -hmm. And I would do them, and I would just feel like my front teeth are hitting. Like, you know, like I have to force myself into a forward head position just to, be, to close, to close up on my jaw, like my teeth. Can I just ask, how is your psychological state at this point? Because obviously you've been through quite a few uh, treatments that didn't help. So how were you feeling, like, on a psychological level? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was it was torment. Um, I was very, obviously, very stressed out about this. And uh, it just felt like I was, uh, there was points where I was very dejected. And, like, you know, because I was still working full time. And, like, you know, like, it's hard enough when your first job and, and uh you know, it's, it's like a lot of pressure and to, to, to manage this as well is incredible. I mean, incredibly difficult. So, uh, yeah, it was absolutely a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety. And uh, the fact that, you know, it's so expensive. Any of these treatments is not covered by medical insurance, you know. So you're literally gambling, not just with your life, with your health, I mean, but also your money. You know, like you pay thousands of dollars for these treatments 
and if they don't work, it's like, oops, you know, move on sort of thing. Yeah, plus um, there's no guarantee. Nobody is able to guarantee the outcome, right? Uh, yeah, So exactly. Yeah, it's tough. So at this point, I didn't. I wanted to just focus on reopening. So I abandoned everything else. I said, reopen, reopen, reopen. And I just would spend like every day after work just going, Googling, trying to speak to people, connecting on Facebook, just finding something that can reopen, guarantee a reopening. Of this. I don't want just a blind expansion. You know, I wanted the spaces exactly where the teeth were taken out to reopen. Mm-hmm. So I was able to fortunately find someone in the area that I lived in about two hours away that said that he can reopen with uh, like... Uh, for like an appliance, like a screw appliance, you know, and uh, he told me it was going to be painful, though. He said it's not going to be easy. What con- convinced me to go see him was that he actually had childhood, ex- I mean, extractions, but as an adult, not childhood, but he had bicuspid extractions later in life, actually. He's a dentist himself, mm. but someone had done it to him in his late 30s, right, telling him that it's going to look better. And in fact, he started developing horrible headaches afterwards. Right. So he literally had to find a way to kind of fix himself and reopen. And as we know, as an adult, it's very difficult, you know, because you don't have the bone and all that. And you were, you were trying so to reopen for yourself just the top, right? Not the bottom at that, at that point. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because I wanted to at least start with the top because the lower jaw can be released forward. It has more space for me to kind of close more forward. Sure. And uh, uh, I mean, the, the, the lower, I, yes, I do want to like, like it should do both top and bottom. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the priority should be top one, at least to relieve symptoms. The, the, the mandible, it's actually quite hard to reopen because it's a solid bone, isn't it? Maxilla is exactly. so you, you, you can reopen it easier than, than the lower. It's, it's, it's yeah. I mean, hard. they're both incredibly difficult. It's just the top is at least, uh, at least it's theorized to be possible. <laughs> like some people have done them. Yeah. So, uh, so I went to him, but again, you know, it's like, it's just like we're, um, like, it's just like, you know, the, the, the place I was in is always the one that comes back to bite me, right? So the fact that my neck was so damaged and I was feeling the spider flight, the smallest of things could trigger it, that even putting in that appliance, like he made me a custom screw appliance that, that you just screw on and you turn and it pushes the front half, the, like the, not even, it was pushing behind the, so I have my first bicuspid missing. Mm-hmm. This one pushes behind the second bicuspid. Because it pushes backward and forward. Like it pushes the back teeth backward, the front teeth forward. In like a, and it's supposed to create like a V-shaped gap. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And he told me that even though I want the gaps in front of the second bicuspid, he said we have to do it behind so that it's a balanced, there's equal number of teeth on both sides. You know, right. so the force goes both ways. Right. And he said this is the only way. And that later on, then we would move the second bicuspid backward and then fill the, the gaps with uh, implants. And he has done this for himself, by the way, right? Mm-hmm. He had actually done this to himself. I saw, I've, I've seen the finished case and his teeth looked fine, but he did warn me that it's going to be incredibly painful, that uh, it's going to be very sore and that uh, like, yeah, it's going to be hell for a while, right? So I was okay with that. As long as the pain was in the teeth and all that, I was completely ready for it. Unfortunately for me, it brought back the worst of my fight or flight symptoms. You know, mm-hmm. like I couldn't even tolerate, like I tried to push through it, but I was in so much pain. My heart would feel like it was going to explode. It was just like, I could feel, feel the heart, the chest beating, like my heart beating. It was just, it was inc- inc- like horrible. Like I could not push through with it. I actually tried to do it for about a week, two weeks, and it just did not get better. Right. And, and is is actually a, a removable thing. You're supposed to wear it as much as possible, um, but like you can't remove it for eating and things like that. Right. So I had to give that up actually. 
And I mean, obviously, I was incredibly um, depressed about this because this is something that took me like almost a year to find hours of research to find this person and just just actually kind of a piece like a small piece of luck that he was actually about two or three hours so was there any did any gaps form at this point or did you reopen like a little bit at least with this device no nothing uh it was like actually he did tell me this that it's quite slow initially that when he did this himself he was like why is there no gap why another gap and he, and suddenly like he said one day it'll just wake up and there'll be like a tiny gap and he <laughs> said it just it takes the it takes time for the body like it's not the whole gap but like to, even to see cracks right it would take about one or two months and then one day you wake up and there's like oh there it is you know? uh, but you couldn't even tolerate that like to, to that no point. no mm-hmm. I, because it was, it puts a lot of pressure. Like, I think a normal person would be able to handle it. But for me at this point, like I said, my neck, and I had no bite, you know, like, uh, like just getting your neck, um, like it was so weak. And I tried to do a neck exercises and all this stuff, but it really nothing kind of clicked, mm-hmm. you know. I just, anytime the neck and the upper back would get strained, then I would feel the fight or flight come on. And, uh, even when I, when I had that thing in my mouth, like the, uh, the appliance, even when I lie, when I was lying down, it wouldn't go away, you know, it was like, it was too much forceful force for me mm-hmm. so i gave up on that obviously i was like in a, a state of limbo I, this is like oh like over a couple of years really i don't know what to do next um i tried uh, then i moved to the dna appliance right. which is another expansion teeth appliance, appliance but exactly yeah. but the key thing is though the dna uses springs and it's a lot slower right because the appliance that i had done which is actually a sagittal appliance uh-huh. this is the appliance the guy who was trying to reopen for me in Florida gave me. Right. Um, but uh, I met someone um, in in who was literally the other side of the U.S. But I he came highly recommended by another TMD patient who told me that uh, that he's been able to reopen some of the spaces uh, for her, like a, a you know another TMD patient, a bicuspid extractions case. So I went to him, and uh, this was a crazy journey, you know. Like I was flying across halfway across the country. I had to work, go fly for work, and but I was like, you know, getting putting this together it was incredibly taxing. But the idea was that I was really sold the dream that the DNA appliance would really help, you know, that that would be the holy grail of reopening. And um, and to be fair, I will say that the uh, it was uh, the, the dentist also was very talented at making me feel comfortable because he would adjust. They had bite pads, so they would make adjustments with bite paper and all that. Mm-hmm. And uh, in fact, I find this was the first kind of bite I had, like a proper stable, somewhat of a stable bite since the point few since like when I was in college and they had done the dental equilibration. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it felt nice at least. And he was quite uh, talented at, at making you feel like the the, the occlusion make make it balanced you know because mm-hmm. he'd been doing this for a long time um and and i could i didn't i did see some gaps at this point right i had started doing it i would go in once a month and they would adjust the bite and uh i i finished uh and i we started seeing some gaps there was but he did it was a three-way expansion you know it's like a y-shaped appliance where the gap is supposed to form where the bicuspids are mm-hmm. but it's pushing three-way front sideways and other ways you know three-way appliance also. basically yeah yeah yeah. And uh, we finished a one whole year of it. And um, but again, my symptoms were like it was it, it, I felt better uh, in the sense that I felt stable, like I was getting uh, contact on both sides. But that fight or flight problem didn't go away. It was still come and go. Um, and I didn't get the results I wanted. I mean, I got about uh, maybe a slight gap 
um, after a whole year and uh, and then he said we can do another one so I, we because I had finished the screw on the first one so we, we ordered another one and but that went nowhere like eventually we were the body stopped opening you know like I would turn and turn but the gaps would not get bigger mm-hmm. right so that was worrying I mean and I mean the dentist also told me that this was some this was a possibility at some point if it stops moving we're gonna have to stop right. you know and uh and that's where i was and somehow my symptoms are also like the same like everything else the sleep apnea and like the exhaustion i mean i didn't know at this point it was called sleep apnea i just i was always exhausted and tired felt like i was not getting enough sleep and uh the fight or flight was still coming on and going i was getting pain in the neck randomly um at this point to address what you had brought up earlier like i was also getting pain in the knees at times pain the hips mm-hmm. like it was like a circulation of symptoms really like i wouldn't go one day without something or the other but it would just kind of circulate uh, my body had become kind of incredibly unstable you know i'd hear clicks in the neck at this point as well right so eventually uh i i decided to quit that as well i mean i don't know what else to do next this is a point where somehow i suddenly got really worse you know like it, i there was a transition and i think i think it's because I was somewhat active, but this was a time where I actually was on break. I did not work, but I, because I was so tired, you know, like I didn't really do, I couldn't do much, you know, I just kind of rested at home. But I think that actually made me worse that like I started the fight or flight problem became permanent, mm-hmm. you know, like it became incredibly uh, like just nonstop. It was the worst. I would say it's the worst period of my life. Like I actually started to like before this point, I would always get that fight or flight, which I hated. It's like the worst thing I like I thought a human being could experience, mm-hmm. but the hope was that it would always go away, you know, like lying down flat or something like that would help it kind of reset and for me to calm down and go away. Right. But this was a point where it's like, it just did not stop, you know? And like, never, like I just continued to experience it nonstop, like waking up to that, sleeping to that. I couldn't sleep like because my heart was pounding all the time. How can someone get fall asleep? Like your body cannot fall asleep. And so I have to actually go to a doctor, get prescribed like sleeping pills, like Ambien, just to kind of shut down the body, to kind of like put you, force you to sleep, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like almost knock you out. And it was incredible because I had kind of managed to suffer or go through this problem without any medication, even though a lot of people like they're on all kinds of things. Right. Okay. I think it's best that we split your story into two parts because it's going to be quite lengthy. Um, so this is going to be the end of the part one. Right. Yeah. Um, sure. And so I think it's, uh, it'd be good for you to let our, uh, listeners kind of know our, our path for this podcast and, you know, what we hope to, uh, for its intention, really. Well, essentially, what I think would be quite, uh, useful is that, uh, you know, to raise awareness of, of, of the problem of, uh, of odontic treatment, which often doesn't turn out the way we want to. So we can touch up on, uh, different treatment options, the use of different devices, uh, you know, hear people's stories and opinions, uh, you know, on their journey. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's also, um, I think it's important that we uh, also touch upon the fact that for any device, there are many different experiences, actually, you know, and that my AGA experience is a, like a good example of that. There sometimes you see people come out like it does really work for them or it doesn't even for like a you know, a lot of the appliances on the market. So I think it would be interesting if we can um, focus on one appliance or one treatment plan for an episode and then hear like different voices, perhaps even um, 
possibly, I don't know if we can get it, but actually touch base with the providers uh, of that of those appliances. Sure, sure. Sounds good.